This week on the Dragzine Podcast, Mike Gleamy joins us once again to talk about NMRA, NMCA, Heads Up Racing, and a whole lot more. So, pull those belts tight, get ready to put it in the beams. The Dragzine Podcast starts now. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Associate Editor, Brian Wagner. Once again this week, Mike Gleamy joins us on the podcast, and he's such a wealth of knowledge across the board that uh, I think we're going to have him on, you know, more times this year just to talk different subjects and get his take on things as the as the year progresses so uh without further ado let's get this drag racing party started all right my guest this week is mike galimi on the drag zine podcast what's going on mike hey brian how's it going today doing good doing good i've i've decided by the power invested in me by the international sanctioning body of podcasting that you will now be a regular contributor to the podcast congratulations Wow, wonderful. Thank you. I will definitely update my resume. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of a big deal, and I don't know how official the international podcasting body is, but, you know, it just it sounded really good in my head. All right. There it is. But, uh, yeah, definitely appreciate you jumping on this show. And, uh, you know, racing season, you know, has really, really kind of started to kick off and shifted into high gear. So there's uh, plenty of stuff to talk about. I think we could kind of kick things off here with, uh, you know, since you, you do the whole pro media deal and whatnot, you know, it's, uh, you get to enjoy the fine weather this weekend in Florida with the NMRA. Yeah, it should be, uh, should be great. We've got, uh, we're down here now, a little bit chilly, but the sun is out. Uh, it's going to be really fast. Um, so uh, we're looking forward to, uh, to, to some record-breaking performances uh, this weekend. Yeah, it's, it's cool kind of how to see the – you guys continually evolve the NMRA and the new classes you throw out there and whatnot. And you've, uh, you've got two classes this year that are essentially entering what their second year of, uh, existence in the organization with, is it limited street and modified street? Uh, limited street is what we're doing this year. Um, we, we don't have modified street for 2020, uh, but limited street is on, this is, this will be the third, uh, third season for it and, uh, very successful, um, kind of for listeners who aren't familiar, it's um, it's a, basically a 860, 870, 880 class, depending on the weather, uh, for the quickest cars. So it's, you know, away from the 25.5 chassis spec. And it's based around, uh, you know, a lot of the popular street power adders and, and engine combinations. Um, we've got naturally aspirated cars. We've got, uh, you know, supercharged cars with centrifugals. Um, and also, you know, root style stuff. We've got some twin screw cars coming, um, turbo, uh, a little bit of everything, push rods, coyotes, mod motors, uh, definitely our most diverse, uh, category in terms of potential combinations and, and combinations that are on the track. Normally you see, you know, some of these heads up classes kind of gravitate towards one or two different combinations where this one, it's, I think we had last year, nine different uh, combinations that ran in the eight second zone. So it's a, uh, it's a fun, exciting, um, very relatable, you know, I like to call it the working man's uh, heads up class. Um, just a, just a good time for, for those racers. And I think a really solid rules package that, uh, you know, you can build a car, have some fun and, and there's some great stability in it. Yeah. And that's what makes it cool when you have that level of ability for participation as well as that many different kind of power adders and combos, just because it, it kind of gives the uh, the racers the ability to find different ways to uh, attack the uh, attack the, the the rules box, if you will, and then really bring out the performance in different avenues and kind of see a, almost a trickle down effect into other areas. You know, when 
aftermarket companies can kind of learn from what they've developed and use that in other products. Yeah, no, and that's uh, that's always been, you know, what NMRA has worked hard to do is, um, you know, work with, with manufacturers that they can continue to evolve their product line, but also, you know, keep it reined in on the racing side so it doesn't get, you know, way, way out of control uh, for those those racers who've stepped into it. And, uh, you know, your limited street's very unique in that, you know, the, the tech department does a great job of, of monitoring the performances and adjusting using the power adder. And, uh, you know, the, there's pulley sizes for the supercharger folks, um, you know, weight more so on the um, turbo side and, and, and the nitrous jet limitations for the, for the nitrous cars. And uh, it seems to be a, a really good mix that they've got. Uh, they've got some good stuff going there. Def- it's very competitive and a great group of, of, of racers, a lot of new faces uh, last year and even more coming this year. And then another cool thing I like about the the spring break shootout is with what you guys do with True Street because that still is one of the you know that's really if you think about it the backbone of the drag racing community is those that you know don't maybe necessarily race heads up but have a fast street car they just want to come out and participate and I've always liked True Street just because of the sheer variety of what you see and then at these bigger events you guys get some pretty fast cars that show up to play. Yeah, so, I mean, True Sheet's great in, in that you can come with a bone stock vehicle right off the showroom floor and, and come have some fun. And in the same class, there's, you know, seven-second cars. And uh, we've got a, a great loyal group with, with some really fast street cars, especially down here in Florida, that have run sevens and eights. And uh, so we've got a little shootout on Sunday for, for them to race heads up, which, you know, for, for a lot of them, it's probably the only time all year that they get to do something on the heads up side. Um, you know, but the format of True Street's unique in that it's, you know, it's like land speed racing and, and much like, you know, Drag Week and its popularity. Um, you know, we'll get 150, 160 cars down here this weekend. And it just you're there to, to be a part of something. And there's a racing element to it, but it's not the cutthroat competitiveness as a, a, a you know, an index or heads up category would carry with it. It's a It's a great introduction, but you can also go as far as you want um, on your vehicle and, you know, just your personal flavor. You want to go sevens by all means, you know, we do it. Let's, let's have some fun out here. And then we let them race on, on Sunday in the heads up, which is, is what this event was built on. And this is the, the, the 26th running of the spring break shootout. And it was, it was founded on street cars. And then to this day, we still continue that theme. Yeah. And that, I'll definitely be tuning in on speed video to watch the heads up portion of it, especially with the stick shift cars. I don't know if my boy Mike Niehaus here from Columbus is making it down, but you know, he's just an example of how nasty some of those cars are that still have clutches in them. And again, it makes it really cool to watch those cars battle it out. Yeah. So yeah, within within True Street, we do at, at this event and in uh, the NMRA World Finals and Holly Ford Fest, we do a six year shootout, which you know, comes out of the True Street ranks. And, uh, you know, you complete True Street, we take the eight quickest stick shift cars and we put them into a ladder and, and those those guys and girls can go have some fun banging some gears. And, you know, Mike's a, a perfect example of, you know, just a, just a regular guy who just likes having fun with a stick shift car. And, you know, we give him a platform to, you know, on a national level. And, uh, you know, people across the country, or, you know, enjoy watching him race and have heard of this guy where, you know, normally that, uh, you know, if you just stuck locally, you know, his recognition might not be as big. So it's it's fun to, to work with a lot of the, the smaller, you know, smaller streetcar guys um, who don't normally get the recognition. And, and that's, I think, uh, you know, great advantage on our scene. 
no pun intended, shifting gears to the uh, the NMCA next weekend, uh, another awesome event that that's going on down there that we can kind of expand into other topics as well as the Muscle Car Mayhem, which is I, I I'm starting to call the NMCA the buffet of horsepower. I mean, there's just <laughs> something for everybody there, from pro mods to the to the index stuff. You know, we just did the article with uh, Andy Warren and that gnarly Caprice. I mean, the NMCA in my opinion, is probably the most diverse level of racing in the country, hands down. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely evolved over the last, I would say, I don't know, five or six years of um, where we've been, you know, just kind of pushing it to to include a lot of segments in the drag racing community that, that sometimes get overlooked. Um, you know, we've got a stock super stock combo that, uh, you know, these racers, I mean, it, they have a blast. And, uh you know, they follow the initiatory rules, but it's still a bracket race and uh, you qualify off the index. So you still have that element of, of that class type of feel to it, but it, it's a diff, different atmosphere than, than an initiatory national event, I, you know, way more laid back and, and casual, which they enjoy, um, you know, in, in pro mod, you know, there's the diversity within pro mod with twin screws and nitrous uh, twin turbos, um, you know, roots blown, although there's not many roots blown left, but, you know, we've got all of the power adders competing in, in one category, and I think that's fun for the fans to see. Obviously, the racers love it. You know, we've, you know, car counts, you know, averages like 23 or 24 per event. I think some of them we've had over 30 cars. Um, so that's been great. You know, factory supercars, we've got, I believe, 22 uh, of those guys coming down next week. And it's, you know, Copos, Cobra Jets, Drag Packs, you know, just a wide diversity. And then we've got our, our Dodge and Chevrolet programs to help curb street racing that pays for, you know, a complimentary entry into the Hemi shootout and the Chevrolet Performance Streetcar Challenge. So we've got uh, we've got a lot going on from the brand new racer to, you know, door slammers that go 370s, 200 miles an hour. So it's a it's, it's a great it's definitely a great, um, great lineup of 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 cars like you said it's just the diversity is incredible yeah it, it's really cool to even watch a lot of the index classes you know like nostalgia muscle car and whatnot just because you get to see a lot of different combos attacking it it's not you know it's not a sea of fox body mustangs like you see at other a lot of heads up events and you you There's see nothing wrong with that brian nothing wrong with that at all hey i'm not hating Watch i'm just your tongue. i'm just saying i know i know i know <laughs> <laughs> those four guys get fired up when you start talking about that but you know, with the stock and super stock combo and the factory supercars, right there, if you're a drag racing fan, that's worth the price of admission right there just to watch those classes with what the, the diversity and the performance level you see. And there's a lot of – the thing I've noticed is you're starting to see a lot of heavy hitters using the different – depending on where they are regionally or even following the tour, using those classes as tune-ups to go to bigger events. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's at Norwalk. We, we, we started out at Norwalk. It's the weekend before the U.S. Nationals. And, and it began with the Cobra Jet. It's like, hey, get tuned up for, you know, for the U.S. Nationals. And then, and then it just kind of expanded from there to include several other categories that, that, uh, that like you said, it, it is, you know, guys use it for a tune-up. And we get them out on, you know, Sundays so they can get there for stacking. And um, it's, uh, it, it, it's definitely worked out well for the stock super stock guys within our, you know, our organization to give them another place to race another, you know, another opportunity to race outside their division, do a little bit of travel and have some fun, race for a championship um, and a more condensed schedule than, they, than they're used to. And, 
Yeah. So we, we, I think we definitely complement the NHRA on the, on the sportsman side um, and, and offer those racers, you know, more opportunity to get on track. Yeah. And it, it's cool, too, because you can see guys that have won national events and national championships in the NHRA running in the NMCA and then bouncing over to both and doing well at both. And it's, you know, it's cool to see. And then I think it also should be noted as well that the, the NMCA was the first sanctioning body, I believe, to have all the different power adders and pro mod all in one. And, you know, the NHRA is finally following suit with that this year. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I think in, if you would say in the last several years, I mean, there's a lot of other groups that, that have done the same, that haven't segregated them. And, you know, and it's just a, it's just a trend, right? I mean, you know, um, that just worked out really well. And uh, we're, we're definitely not the first. I mean, I appreciate you saying that, but there, there are others that do a great job. It's, it's a tough balancing act. Um, you know, NHRA is doing a, doing a great job. They have a little bit harder situation because, you know, the quarter mile, they're the only folks who run quarter mile, and then they only have their data to go off of. And uh, so I think on the eighth mile side of it, there's us, Midwest Pro Mods. You know, PDRA, even though they do have them separated, but you could still look and kind of see trends in the market. Um at other locations so that, you know, when you're eighth mile, I think there's definitely a lot more data available, especially with all the, the outlaw races across the South and, and through Texas to kind of keep an eye on. So, um, but it, I mean, it, it is hard. I mean, it's, it's a full-time job for, you know, for our tech guys to manage, you know, not just pro mod, but all, all of the categories. Um, it's, it's a lot, definitely more. So I, I think our organization, you know, Roger Conley heads up the tech group, and when you look at all of the heads of classes, I don't think there's any organization in the country or in the world that has as many categories as we do with as many events. And it's uh, it's a hard thing to manage. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with the NHRA kind of rolling in, you know, with having all those, you know, the new safety regulations they've brought in this year, that's kind of thrown, I think, a, uh, some of these teams for a loop. And some pe- people grumble about safety, but I think at the same time, when you look at what happened with Ryan Newman at Daytona and then Shannon Poole and that crazy wreck, it kind of, it, it's a very unfortunate jolting reminder why that safety stuff is there. It's, uh, you know, our, our sport is very uh, reactive to incidents where it's like oh okay this happened okay well let's do this so it doesn't happen again you know and i, I think uh you know nhra with some of the stuff that they did with pro mod this winter are, is definitely proactive and that's you know it's a good position to be in you know they, they've recognized some, some potential problems and try to head them off and you know wh- one of the best videos i shared it on my, my personal facebook page was um tim mcamus explained the new rule and you know oftentimes these rules come out and it's like this is it you know you have to change your car and and there's no you know communication as to okay well why are we doing this even tim mcamis who you know i mean the guy you know you know world-renowned chassis builder was like even he admitted on the video like he's like well where are we going here and when they explain it to him then he explains in the video it's quite clear it's like okay i see why they want it done this specific way on how they mount, you know, these covers one, the covers are there to keep, you know, you know, your limbs inside the vehicle in a rollover, you know, there's padding in there so that you don't keep hitting, you know, your knee doesn't keep hitting the X brace and you end up, you know, damaging your legs. Um, but as to even how they extract a, a person out of a vehicle and why those panels can't be connected to the, you know, to the A pillar and the main hoop. You know, and little things like that, you look at and say, oh, OK, that makes sense. So I think sometimes, 
you know, racers are reluctant because maybe someone didn't explain to them, you know, the reasoning behind it, you know, like seatbelts, it's huge, you know, hotly contested. Why do seatbelts expire? You know, unfortunately, you, you know, SFI has to look at, you know, the worst case scenario, which is an open cockpit dragster, which sun deteriorates webbing. And, you know, a door car won't be as compromised as, as a, a dragster theoretically, but, you know, they have to go with the worst case scenario that, okay, if this is our minimum amount of light exposure and here's our proof of how the web is weakened in the seatbelts and they can become dangerous, you know, and, and I think people just think it's a money grab from, you know, from seatbelt manufacturers when it, when it really isn't. There, there are legitimate science behind and engineering behind why these changes are made. Yeah, and that's definitely, I think, what a lot of people need to keep in mind. I'll be the first one to tell you, I have, it's not the fact that I have to pay to buy new belts every two years. I just hate putting the damn things in. That's my big, <laughs> I hate to, I always have to look up the YouTube video. I'm like, how do I do this again? Because, you know, I, I forget in the span of a week how I did it, so I got to always look it up. Yeah. But in the end, you know, when something happens, it's not a matter of if it's when something happens, it's the fact that you're safe is what needs to be kept in mind. Yeah. There, you know, every weekend, you know, especially in season, every weekend across this country, tens of thousands of people are hitting the drag strip and, you know, and they're doing, you know, several runs down the drag strip. And and you look at just the, the millions of passes down the quarter mile and, you know, that, I mean, just the law of averages on that alone in terms of, of safety and, and protecting drivers and, and uh, you know, other racers. I mean, it's, I mean it's, it's a lot of racing. I think, you know, people get kind of tunnel visioned and, and think of themselves on some, some, in some respects, you know, and that's fine. I mean, that's just human nature. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Just, but, you know, SFI and NHRA and, and, and all these people who make these, these rules, you know, they, they see a big picture. You know, they, they see the, the small track in the middle of nowhere and, and an incident that happened there that probably, you know, 90 percent, 95 percent of people never hear about. And so, you know, they, they're going off a data set that, that we don't we don't have an opportunity to look at. And but, you know, I've, I've seen I've been in the SFI meetings. I've, I've been involved in a lot of conversations. You know, it's like you could like these are people who, who they care about the racer and the drivers and they, they care about this stuff. And you just have to trust them. And they're not there. They're not motivated by, you know, money for it, right? This is not about money. It's about people's lives. Well, a good example would be uh, Jeff Pierce, Rick, and that Nova at uh, Lights Out that on the surface, that didn't look like that bad of a hit. But when I talked with him in the staging lanes the next day, he was a little little stiff, but he said it maxed out the G-meter, you know. And, yeah. you, you know, if you maxed out a G-meter, that's, that's definitely a, a little bit more than a, a simple bump. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, there's been some, some insane accidents that I've unfortunately had to witness over the years. And, and, you know, you, our teams respond and then you get down there expecting the worst. And you're like, wow. Like, I mean, you know, the, the safety gear, you know, it's, you know, it's saved countless lives and, uh, you know, I've seen it firsthand. Um, and it's, uh, no, it's definitely something people shouldn't take lightly. I think, uh, you know, I think there's always, especially on the streetcar side of things, there's always the, you know, the apprehension of a funny car cage on the street. And, you know, it's, it's a tough balance for SFI and, and NHRA to look at, you know, every situation. And, 
that's it's we're definitely in interesting times just the cars are so fast it's so easy to you know you've got you know bolt-on cars going in the nines at this point so it'll, it'll be interesting to see how how all this works out over the next several years is kind of you know safety rules kind of catch up with the newer cars and newer technology and and how it gets implemented yeah it's just it's a topic that comes up all the time it's just absolutely mind-blowing how fast you, you can make street cars now yep. i mean it, it it's literally to the point where it's i i think it's almost too easy to make big horsepower because there's some people that just aren't responsible enough to have that power level <laughs> i mean that's that's a god's honest truth because it, it leads back to that safety thing where i see cars that are legitimate eight second cars where they don't want to put a cage in it because they don't cut it up and they take it to the track and they run it eight seconds i'm like dude yeah. you're you're out of your tree that's not where you want to be trust me yeah no and, and you know the more you do it the, the better the odds of something you know catastrophic happening and uh you know i mean People need to be responsible for themselves at, to a degree, um, but I think there's a, a moral responsibility within, you know, racing community that uh, you know you, you've got to keep an eye on everybody. And uh, you know, just the ignorance is bliss. I don't think is is the the appropriate way to, you know, from from a racing side, from a racing organization side to to uh, to allow it. Oh, I've gotten MF before at private track rentals that we're a part of where the, the tech department at the track has told someone not to make a pass anymore at full steam because they didn't have a cage. And then the person comes to me and says, why are they telling me this yada, yada, yada? I'm like, listen, I don't want to have to be the one that calls your wife and tells her that, you know, you're being literally mopped up off the track because of what happened here. I'm like, you just, you got to understand that it affects everybody and this car is, you know... It may seem like it's safe going down the track, but one little thing, and all of a sudden you're you're going to be in a bad spot. Yeah, no, it's uh, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a, de it's definitely a, a delicate balance um, when you get, especially when you get to the streetcar side of things, and you know, it's just uh, no, it, the rules are there for a reason, you know, and and like I said, the sport has been notoriously you know reactive, so these reactions are because there was an incident there was a fatality or a serious injury, you know, fire alone. Right. You know, how many guys you see run without gloves, especially in, 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 you know, a methanol car, you know, well, good luck on that one with, you know, with the heat that comes off of a methanol fire. Yeah. That invisible fire is no fun. Ask Ricky Bobby. Right. I mean, yeah, you know, but I mean, it's, you know, I think we've seen enough over the years uh, of incidents and, you know, it's, just something as simple as gloves, you know, and the proper fire, you know, fire gear for an M1 car or, you know, methanol car. And you know, the, the amount of people who just don't understand, oh, well, it's, it's hot out. Oh, it, you know, when, when this thing's burning real hot and uh, you're trying to get out of the car and, you know, your skin is melting off. Good luck with that, man. You know, it's, uh, no, I mean, there, there needs to be, you know, I think some people just need to look, look in the mirror long and hard on, on some of the safety stuff. And, and I'm not saying that, that, you know, streetcar stuff and things of that nature, you know, there, there is, you know, there, there is a, there is a balance there. And I do, I do respect it and appreciate it on, on the hardcore streetcar guy side, but at the same time, it, you got to look at it and put yourself in the best position. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, non-streetcar stuff we could look at is, uh, you know, like I said, we've already a couple months into this year, and there have been some absolutely 
insane performances across all of drag racing. And, you know, one of the things that that I've been watching is the progression of radio versus the world and how, you know, 350s have now, or once thought to be impossible, are now almost the norm for for the elite teams. That's just, what's your take on that? (laughs) So, you know, I I had a a podcast with Brian Loans last week. You know, we talked about Stevie Fast on the NHRA podcast. And um, just in, in preparing for that, that interview with Brian, you know, I went through all of Stevie's numbers for the U S street nationals and, uh, for lights out 11. And it was incredibly insane on how consistent that vehicle is. And, you know, I think there was one run, he went three sixty five, which I think he had lifted on, but every run under power in 2020 has been in the three fifties. That's nice. He, he, he had a buy run first round of RVW at the U S street nationals at Bradenton. That was three ninety five. It was a buy run. He clicked it early. I, I forget what the speed was, but it was something low, like you know, like 174 or something like that. So it was, it was quite obvious that he clicked it, but every single run was in the three fifties and, and it's just staggering the consistency, not just the speed, but the consistency of that speed. And, and, and I think someone who's getting lost in the mix is Melanie Salemi because she's been just as deadly, except she runs into Stevie in like, I think the third round of racing at the U S street nationals. And, uh, and I forget what, I think she went out and what the semifinals at lights out 11, but she's in the same boat too, where she's knocking down fifties. Like it's nothing. I mean, it's just, I mean, the, the, the level of professionalism that both of those teams bring to the table is, is, is incredible. And, and not, they're not the only ones, but, they are definitely standing out right now uh, through the first two events, major events of 2020. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, Salemi is definitely talking with her at Lights Out and kind of looking at the the bigger picture. They brought that car out to Orlando, won the whole thing, beat Stevie in the final. They go to the U.S. street, run into Stevie. Stevie gets a little vengeance, but still that car was quick. They go to Lights Out 11, cranking away, cranking away. Probably should have been in the final, but, you know, a simple parts failure – Yep. Killed the car. And, you know, again, that car has been impressive with what they've done and how quickly they've adapted to it. And then another person you got to throw into that mix is David Reese with that small block car and what they've been able to do so quickly and how consistent and nasty that little monster is. Yeah. And, and you know, and, you know, yeah, I mean, David, I think definitely gets lost when you start talking about Stevie and Melanie. But, um, you know, Reese's car is incredible. And, and it's, you know, some people think he came out of nowhere. But, you know, remember, here's a guy who's been grudge racing that, you know, that 275 Camaro for the last uh, year or two with, you know, with the roots. And then I think he had a twin screw after that, um, you know, steps into that program with um, uh, the gentleman out of Texas. Thornton. That, uh, Thornton. And, you know, Grant McCreary's involved in it. And, I mean, you've got, you know, just a great engine program, great group out of Texas who've always been fast. At one time, Thornton's even held the RVW record. And, you know, now they apply it to this purpose-built RVW car. And, and it's, you know, 358, quickest small block in the world. Um, I expect that number, that Sweet 16, to definitely go down. Um, 
But yeah, very impressive, very cool engine combination. You know, it's a, a four six hundred bore space. I, I I joke that it's a uh, a spread spread bore you know uh, Pontiac engine. <laughs> you know, <'cause> it's, <laughs> it's such a you know wide bore space. But uh, you know, great engine program. You know, Ray Morrison I, I guess is doing is doing the engines for those guys, or you know, they're the ones who worked on this this combo to to survive under this insane boost. I mean, Lord knows what what that little blower is uh, pushing in, into that engine. So, but. Uh, totally killer the the car just sounds so different than everything out out everything else out there it's it's fun to watch that that, that little hot rod well you think you got to remember too and, uh, another reason why that those guys are even more of a sleeper is that they've got three cars running out of that camp and you know they're developing stuff in different stages on each of those vehicles with different body styles and chassis between you know Rick's, you know, old school split window vet, the new C7 and that Camaro and having three cars to kind of play with and do that sort of testing is you know, all under one roof with one, you know, central figure kind of heading up the program. I think you're going to see them make some pretty staggering and crazy developments quickly, especially he because Dave told me they've got another engine that they're they're starting to put together as well. So I think that you're going to see those guys do some pretty banana stuff in a hurry. Yeah, and it's I think uh, you know in all of racing, you know, the more data you have, you know, these are all capable, you know, tuners and and drivers and teams, and the more data you have, the the better you are. Which is which is I think right now where Stevie has a bit of an advantage over other people because as everybody on Monday goes back to work, you know, Stevie's day job is you know an entry pro mod. You know, so here he goes back to work, but it's learning more. His team is continuing to, you know, be, you know, this cohesiveness through all of it, through working, knowing, you know, what each guy does and they do it very well. And that repetition on any team is, you know, really helpful at the end of the day. It'll translate to either program. And uh, that's a huge advantage, in, in my opinion, that Stevie has over everyone is just, you know, collecting more data and and staying racing, right? Always focused, always engaged in in the the, the thrill of qualifying and and the excitement of eliminations and maintaining their coolness over it. Well, you kind of can draw a, a comparison to that to like top level combat sports athletes like MMA fighters or boxers that the best of the best are always they say they always talk about they're always training. They're all they, they right. don't let themselves get too far out of shape. And that they can take a fight on a moment's notice so that, that they're always ready to go. And that constant training transfers over to something like this, like exactly like you said. They're always they're, they're going through that data at such a granular level. And they're so smart on top of that that they can find stuff that mere mortals would miss. Yeah, it's just it's just the more you do it, the, the, you know, the, the more you become in tune with the program. Um, I mean, and it's like that, like you said, in any professional sport or any, any, any sport that you compete at a high level, you know, whether it's baseball or football, um, you know, any of the, you know, any of the races like running or swimming, the more you're in competition, the better you are. Like, like everyone always talks about, you know, the, the, the break between the AFC and NFC finals versus the Super Bowl and, you know, the, the, the weekend off and, you know, guys do heal up, but it's also, you know, are, are, do they get cold? Do they take time to, to get back in the groove and, and that sort of thing? So, yeah, I mean, the more you do it, the better you're going to be. And in, 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 in drag racing, I think, you know, that's Stevie's advantage right now is they're always on their game. 
and uh, you know whether it's you know their day job or or their side hustle, which is now you know fifty thousand dollars to win radio versus the world races. Um, so yeah. Well, I think too that a part of that that mindset is you, the thing that I'm also starting to notice when you kind of really take a couple data steps back with all this is you notice that a lot of these there there's a lot of really good radial racers now that are X or still kind of semi-current grudge racers. And I think that mindset also plays into it, that you always got to be up and ready for a fight, ready to try to take somebody's money. And I think that's, again, something that separates the, the mindset of how these racers operate. Yeah, I mean, you know, Radio Versal World's always had a very dynamic group of, of racers coming from, from several different, you know, arenas, you know, Jamie Hancock came out of, you know, pro nitrous, not that it was his only deal, but, you know, a lot of experience there, you know, winning championship with, uh, with, I don't know if it was ADRL or PDRA at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, you've always had these diverse guys, um, you know, Mark Mickey and, and Jason Carter out of outlaw 10, five. Yeah. I mean, the, the background for them has always been, and I know it's, it looks like there's a lot of grudge guys coming into it, but, uh, I think there's always been a, a cast of characters that have made up the field. You know, speaking of Mark Mickey, you know, they've, they've made the uh, the weight class drop, if you want to call it that, the Pro 275, and a lot of other teams are kind of doing that now. It's going to be interesting to see how quickly that class, you know, transforms from where it was. You know, the, I think the record at one point was like only in the, you know, the 380s, you know, high 80s, low 90s, and you know, there's a real possibility that could be a 370s class in the blink of an eye. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, uh, I mean, what Mark Mark run 382, I think, on a RVW hit, so it didn't make it on the Pro 275 ladder, but you know, they, they did go 382. And I think the the more you give racers that are exceptional, like a Carter Mickey or um, some of these other guys in there, um, the more more time you give them on the tire, the, the better they're going to figure it out. And I think that's, you know, before the 275 record was, uh, you know, I would call it a novelty record to where there wasn't a class built around it. And now you have guys, you know, who just want to smash the car in the other lane, um, metaphorically, of course. And and that's where you start pushing it and, and learning more and, and making more runs on the 275 because it's now you're doing this. Is, this is what you're racing. So you've committed to this, you know, eight race, nine races a year and we need to test more we need to learn more and the more these guys do it the more data they collect and the better off they are talking with these different teams about you know making the switch to pro 275 from radio versus the world or other classes the the biggest theme i kept hearing was that they you know they're able to get the power down early but the trickiest part for them was you know when you really start to pour the power in at mid track on that tire because it just it acts totally different than a 315 and you could see Mickey and them at some point they were struggling with that because the car would look like it was going to be on a hell of a run and then about a half track you know it would just it kick the tire and that's it's very interesting to kind of you know it's it's rare to be able to see teams kind of go through this progression and really try to work on getting something figured out I think that's always the, the fun of, of new categories is that learning curve, right? Cause I mean, every heads up category has, it has its life cycle and, you know, and right now for 275 is that novelty class and, you know, not a lot of data on how to properly run the tire to its max. And it's fun to watch those teams figure it out and, and 
you know, it's not always perfect, but you know, two years down the road, three years down the road, it's going to be like, yeah, you know, remember that time these, these things can go five runs in a row without smoking the tires three times, you know, and uh, you know, when it'll get there, it'll just be the natural progression of heads up racing. And right now we're, we're in the infancy of, of that class. And granted you could take a lot that you've learned in RVW and apply it here, but it's still, like you said, there's still details that, that need to be determined and, uh, no, it, it'll be fun to watch it in, in its, you know, in its, in its growth cycle. And I, I think potentially, you know, when you kind of talk about it in that sense, too, is how, you know, is, is it going to keep the playing field a lot more even between these teams? Because it's going to be you're, you're walking on such a sharp sword. You know, is it going to be something where the, the absolute elite teams just can't? completely walk away from the the you know the more regular joe just because they're trying to constantly figure that out and it's such a fine margin you know it could be a situation where we get to see some awesome racing all the time because these guys are absolutely just trying to constantly keep it on the right side of where they need to be um i think after doing this for 22 years um i think you know, the tire limit is, you know, is it, it, in the early stages of it, I think it applies to it, but uh, that goes away. Um, you know, I've watched, you know, every tire size from slicks then to radials um, to even no prep. And they say, oh, that's the equalizer. And it doesn't become the equalizer after a while because the good teams will always be the good teams. And the, the, the guys who are determined and put in the work and, and learn the information and make changes on based on what they learn, they're the ones who are excelling. And at some point that always takes over and the, the, the tire limit and that sort of thing eventually just goes away. And that's when you, you start separating the men from the boys on it. That definitely makes sense. You know, you could almost even apply that directly with that new DXP street class where, you know, it was kind of a crapshoot right off the bat. And then, you know, BES and KBX came in and showed everybody how to run, you know, 490s and, you know, kind of ran away with that rather quickly. And it's, you know, everybody else seemed to be lagging behind significantly compared to them. So it'll be interesting with that class to see kind of how it, you know, how it develops as well. Yeah. I mean, at some point they learn to tire, right? There's, there's great, great teams all around and they're, they're all going to learn it. And, um, you know, I think the attraction for that is not so much the tire as much as it is, I think on, on the, the engine under the hood and the, and the, the power, I mean, the, the plate and the solenoids are only going to flow so much. And, I think that side of it, you're going to see, you know, the maintenance side is going to be different than if you're running all out in an ultra or an X275 car. So, I mean, at some point, I think that the, the tire people will figure it out. They'll get that consistency um, because that's just how this stuff works. <laughs> you know, there, there's so many tools now in a trailer for controlling power and, and applying power through chassis and um, just so many, so many great you know, great adjustments at this point. You know, the shocks are incredible. Um, you know, electronics, and I know that they, they don't have a lot of the fancier electronics like you would on an RVW or an X275 car, or even an ultra car, but you do have a lot of tools in, you know, in the trailer to, to have that opportunity 
to get it consistent. And I think you mentioned two of the keys right there that racers in every class overlook chassis and shocks and making all of that work. You know, I, I briefly talked with Mark Mincer at the at the event and that poor man, I'd I'd like to see how many steps he took that race weekend because he he you know, he was running all over, plus he had other people helping him, you know, do tech in the pits, plus they had their trailer and it's you know I think that man is one of the people that's most definitely kind of spurred on the the art of making radial tires do what they do these days. No, he definitely he definitely changed you know the approach to it. Um, it you know I think there were some elements that were making their way in, but he took you know what he learned on dirt racing. And was like, hey, if we can make these cars stick through you know through turns on dirt using you know extension then this will work over here. And he, without a doubt, changed the game and you know, really brought a new technique to drag racing. And you don't see that very often. And uh, it's, it's been fun to watch that and, and his company grow through it. Um, you know, he's got, you know, John Mellon, he's got a lot of good, good crew over there. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, there, there's a lot of, I think, front to back on a car that, that does get overlooked, it, you know. But again, that's what separates the the top teams. They've, you know, they've gone beyond just, you know, throwing more power at it. You know, they're learning the cars so much better, learning torque converters so much better. And the manufacturers are stepping up with, you know, with products to keep these guys satisfied and, and driving forward. Yeah, and when you're kind of a part of that, when you work on a team and see how all that comes together, it really drives a point home, and it's kind of changed, you know, working with Ray Litz as long as I did, seeing how all of that works and how you, you know, just throwing power at it, absolutely. That's like one of the, I hate to say, almost the last things you kind of look at because you got to make sure everything else is going to work before you start turning it up, especially just with, with shocks and power application really you know, kind of changed my perspective seeing that in a, in in real life, how you make these cars work. And it gives you a lot of uh, a lot of respect for those people that have figured out how to make these cars do what they do. Yeah, it's it's been fun. You know, it, you know, I've always, you know, from the moment Super Street launched over in, in uh, you know, in Memphis um, and, and the Mustang scene's always been based on a small tire setup. I've always, you know, enjoyed it and, and got really heavily involved in it in the late 90s and to watch the progression of where like, you know, the, the true 10, five movement really started taking off and the techniques they were using back then to, you know, what's available now and, and how the cars are different. And it, it's been fun because, I mean, I remember back in the day, you know, the, you know, the fast EFI system was like pretty much the only thing you could, you can get for these cars. And, you know, someone had the, the idea of, Hey, we can use the nitrous controllers for timing retards to get off the starting line. You know, it's like, well, what does a blower car need nitrous retards for? You know, and it's like, oh, we'll pull timing out for a certain amount of time. You know, it was like, oh my god, this is this is insane. You know, and then it progressed to, you know, knocking gear ratio out of it, and you know, all of these little band aids until you know the products were really caught up, and you know, shock technology was developed, and you know, valving for small tire stuff specifically, and you know, because you're trying to adapt all the big tire stuff to to the small tires and you know, it, it, it was fun to watch that progression through the years, you know, MSD 7531. I mean, I remember when it was tested at an NMRA event, it wasn't, you know, nobody even knew what it was, 
and it, you know it, it came out of offshore racing you know when the boats would come out of the water the prop would would speed up and they use this limiter so you didn't over rev the engines when the prop came out well they adapted it to drag racing you know just fun stuff like that over the years it's it's been great you know and and to watch you know you know shannon davis who you know i mean that company's been around for a long time you know but what they brought to the table you know in their trash control and and what it's done for people their wheelie control and and so many different you know elements now that are are becoming standard features and efi systems and and that sort of thing and shannon davis when you talk with him he's brilliant but he starts using big words and ideas and phrases that you know exceed my little tiny brain's mental capacity so it's i want to see you know he's always talking about what he's got cooking and what's coming up next you know just kind of speaking you know kind of covertly and it, I'm always interested. I want to see what he's coming out with next because he is one of those people that absolutely, you know, there is no, you know, box to figure out. He he attacks it from a completely different angle that a lot of people just don't even see. No, it's it's definitely it's fun to see, especially you know when you look at where where, you know, the sport came from and and just the technology that that's crept into it and uh, and everybody embrace it. I think that's you know one thing that. You know, other seg- other motorsports don't embrace technology, and I think the the outlaw small tire world, you know, which would include you know radioverse the world, of course, but you know, in pro mod, it's you know this outlaw world that we live in definitely embraces technology a lot better than other motorsports, and that's fun. Um, that's fun to watch. Oh yeah, and I think part of that comes from the fact that a lot of these racers, you know. It- there's a lot of them that are blue collar, you know, they work on their own stuff kind of people and they've got, you know, you, you've got to figure out a, a, a workaround or a field solution for something. So they really put their mind to stuff and they come up with these genius ideas that, that work or, you know, they, it, that's, I think what really drives a lot of this on and it, it <laughs> intrigues those people. Yeah. I mean, I, I think if you look at through some of these, these companies, you know, there are engineers who are helping solve these problems and it's just a, uh, it breaks. It's like, okay, let's make it more robust or let's, let's try this, you know? And then, uh, you know, it goes back to the reactive statement and, you know, we get very reactive to solving a problem. It's like, Hey, we've got, you know, you know, something broke. All right, well, let's just, let's just make it thicker and let's make it bigger. Like what better material can we use? And, um, you know, a very simplistic approach to a lot of, uh, a lot of problems and then it works out very well. Yeah. And, Again, it comes down to, you know, racers are awesome at breaking things, and I think that is what really helps develop a lot of this stuff because they'll do something and engineers just going to be like, how did you, you know, what happened here? Yeah, yeah you know, I, I think, uh, yeah, if you were to go to, like, sports car racing and bring some of the engineering teams that develop, you know, the cars over there and brought them over to drag racing, they're going to be like, What? Well, like, what is this, you know, and you, and you, you do see it, um, you know, when some of the NASCAR guys come to see, you know, the nitro ranks and, you know, cause I mean, nitro cars for what they are are pretty rudimentary, you know, and it's, uh, and I think, uh, you know, we just, like you said, it's just, a we're a bunch of hot rodders. We just want to go fast and, uh, it's a lot different than, than other motorsports. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it's the classic, like I tell people, it's, you know, it's killing ants with a thermonuclear device. That's what racing really boils down to is you're trying to do the most simple task, either go fast in a straight line or go fast and turn left. And you're going to go to whatever lengths you deem necessary to make that task work and as drag racers we're probably the most insane group of people because we spend the most money to spend the least amount of time on the track that makes no sense 
Uh, that's one way to look at it. Yeah, but it's it's fun. You know, it's I tell people that it's you know, you either have the mindset for it or you don't. Like you said, it's it's trying to work the problem, figure stuff out. You know, even from those that just bracket race a street car, you see a lot of the guys. You know, I'll go out to you know National Trail Raceway, my local track, for a Wednesday night deal, and watching those Wednesday night racers. You know, even in the street car class. Those guys are and gals are keeping log books of everything, even at that level. Tire pressures, you know, they're they're take they're looking at their phone for the weather apps. They're trying to perfect their craft any way they can to win, and that's what to me what makes drag racing so much fun is anybody and everybody can do that at any level they want to. No, no, I mean it's uh, you know, it's a, a a very simple concept with a very complicated solution. And so. kind of going off of that, I saw it looks like uh, you're going to be partaking in the fun horsepower torture test known as uh, Drag Week once again. Yes. So I am I'm very lucky that my good friend, Mike Gervanis, um, who absolutely lives for this stuff, uh, he got into Drag Week again. We took uh, last year off. We did it uh, in 2016 and 2017. And uh, wait, let's say no. And 2018, he had a problem. That's right. He had engine troubles in 2018. So he was entered, but then had to pull the plug. So this year we're back. Last year we, it was a you know calculated skip. But uh, we're also doing the Midwest Drags, which will be fun. It's kind of we're using it as warm-up for a drag week, um, which will be fun. We've got uh, working with uh, huge performance on, on some transmission stuff that you'll be hearing about here shortly. Um, after this race hopefully get hot and heavy on it and uh, do some testing on track and then put it through its paces on Midwest, on the Midwest drags, which is a very similar concept to drag week. I think it's four days rather than five. Yeah. Um, starts out of Norwalk. And uh, if it works well there, we'll, we'll bring it with us to, um, to drag week, to the big show. And uh, it's fun. It's neat. Um, Mike's a great guy. We have, we have a blast. We, we do it with Alex Corella and I think Willie uh, Luan is, is coming with his car this year. So we'll have a good crew out of NMRA doing it. Uh, always, always a good bunch of laughs. But, uh, but yeah, it's it's my uh, my couple of weeks of the year that I can uh, go from this side of the you know of, of the equation to the other side. So it's it's a good time. I will probably be seeing you at least at one or two of the Midwest drag stops since it's running through my backyard, and uh, I just want to go check that out. I was going to, you know, do a story and participate in it with my car until it decided that the uh, the engine wanted to suffer some type of terminal illness. So unless, you know, some miracle happens and I get the car rebuilt by then, I'll uh, I'll just be taking pictures from trackside and bugging you guys. Yeah, better better it happens now rather than on the road. We we were there in 2017 um, with a problem, and uh, I sat with the car for... I think it was like eight or nine hours We're luckily, luckily someone on drag week gave Mike a ride back to, um, uh, Cordova to get the truck and trailer, come back and get, get me in the car. And, uh, it, it happened to be a gas station where, uh, some other people had broke down. Um, doc, who's got the NA car fixes transmission. So I was just kind of hanging with those guys. And then there was a bunch of Finnish guys who, they were completely out of competition and the group that stayed with the car ended up, you know, basically partying for five hours. And that was fun. It was, it was a good time, even though, you know, we were out of competition, but it's always the group that runs it is, is fantastic group of, of racers. Um, and, and, you know, the staff is great too. 
Um, so it was, it's definitely a neat bucket list item. If you're, if you're looking to do it, definitely go for it. Don't say next year's the year, just go and do it. It's, it's a blast. It's fun. It's unlike any other event I've ever been around. And you know, that's, I just wanted to do the Midwest drag thing. Cause the, the, the guy that runs it was trying to see what class I wanted to be on. I'm like, I told him, I was like, I'm not going to really be competitive with this car. I just want to do it. I want to experience it. And I really want to kind of like talk about vlog about and blog about just the experience because i've heard so many people you know just give the exact description you just gave and to me uh, you know the the racer car guy part of me that just that really you know that really deals my pick when i want to check that out yeah no the the, the first year I, I blogged on um the now defunct muscle mustangs and fast forwards magazine um yes. every day we, we i did i did a wrap up every day and, uh, you know, it's like you pull in after your, you know, the drive is the worst, right? They call it drag week, but like drag racing is a fraction, excuse me, a fraction of what, you know, what it is. It's the drive and it's just, uh, you know, long and, you know, Mike's car at the time was running low eights. So it's loud. It's, you know, you got music pumping, you've got fumes in the car. You're trying to track this thing on, you know, map it out going line by line. And then, you know, you get to the hotel and, if you don't have to service anything, you know, it's like crack open the laptop and, and just start writing a story. And it, it was a blast. And then the second year, I, you know, I followed along with, with Alex Carella and wrote about his adventure in the 850 class, which is incredibly challenging class. Um, lots of strategy, lots of, of thinking to go, you know, you know, to stay on that 850 number. And he, he hung in there. I think he led it for a couple of days and he ended up third or fourth that year. And, uh, you know, it's one thing on the class that we run, which is uh, Super Street Small Block Power Adder, where it's like your, your car goes what it goes, right? And you know how fast it is. But the 850 class, all those guys can crush the 850 limit. You can't turn in a, a time slip, you know, that's faster than 850 because you're asserted that way. And uh, just playing that game, that cat and mouse game with all of the other leaders, it's like if you run, and these guys were taking up the third digit. It was insane. Um, always fun to watch, always a great group, you know, Jason Deutscher and on all those guys from Texas, just a, you know, the whole thing is fun. It's, it's a great experience. There's a lot of cool folks who do it. Um, and I tell everybody, if it's on your bucket list, just do it, man. You know, don't, don't, don't hold back and just, just do it. Kind of an, another thing that just struck me, you know, based on stuff you've been involved with, uh, you guys still using that, that project car over there that the, uh, that nasty coyote Fox body that, uh, was it Mike yeah. Washington was driving? What's, what's up with that yeah. car? So it's down here for spring break shootout. Um, you know, it went eight forty seven at the uh, world cup finals yes. in, in what would be outlaw trim. We had a, a, a five speed that we borrowed from G force, uh, clutches five speed, which, you know, Leonard said right out of the gate, not just five years, but it's, you know, 10 quicker than, than the, the G one Oh one a, which is not a clutches transmission. Um, you know, so it's, you know, you picked up there and then we had about, uh, 220 pounds out of it, I think maybe 240 pounds that we got out of it. And, uh, so when 847, um, mostly it's back in limited street trim for this year. Um, the same setup, but you know, we're still looking at manifold options. We need, we need a manifold for it. We're basically running the Cobra gen intake dry on this thing. We've got a ported Cobra gen intake and still not enough. So it's been fun. Um, we just like, you know, we've working with Ford on a new set of X heads, um, which will be interesting. Um, that should pick up some power. We got a couple other things we're going to do to it this year. That car is just, 
it's filthy. That thing is nasty. I I love that thing. The way it sounds. Um, oh yeah. Where where can people learn more about that at? Uh, follow us on you know nmradigital.com. We're always putting stuff up and and racepagesdigital.com. Um, always putting tech stories up on it. Uh, you can follow you know social media whenever we got something going on. We'll we'll, we'll toss it in there. So yeah, I mean just keep an eye out on on our our social channels and, and websites and you will definitely see the latest and greatest of what's going on with pure evil uh, yeah. our fun little hot rod. And, and you know, uh, Mike bought a, uh, uh, a gen three truck engine. So we're going to start playing with that here shortly. You know, Mike's got a fleet of cars that, uh, I think we're going to take his, his old coyote stock car and stick a gen three engine in there and, you know, look at doing cams and intake and kind of really seeing how far we can push, you know, mostly a long block or even just a stock short block and how far we can push it. And I think on initial thoughts and conversations with folks who've been messing with the Gen 3, I think we can go pretty quick with it. See, now that's where I'm jealous of you guys is you have a fleet of chassis to mess with. <laughs> I, do not, I have so many bad ideas for things I want to do, and I got like one and a half cars to play with, and I can't be constantly tearing apart my street car. You know, I've got another project car we're going to be announcing soon, and I really don't want to mess with that, but I just – I want. I'm always looking for bad ideas for fun stuff to do, and I I wish I had chassis access. It's uh yeah, I mean that that's Mike's fleet, that's not mine. Um, but I've been been very fortunate enough to be, uh, you know, really good friends at Washington and and Jovanis and get to live vicariously through them on, you know, different you know on Mike or Jovanis on the streetcar side in, in Washington with this this Coyote program, um, and just having a lot of fun through those guys uh we've got uh we've got jovanis and i have another car that's going together for drag week not for this year um but it's taking everything we've learned on his and just really taking it one step further you know, like with the what if you know and it's great to work with the manufacturers of like hey we want to do this well we've never done that before all right well let's do it you know and there's a lot of manufacturers are, are really excited and we've got some great partners for this next step that uh it you know, you know, when we do things and you do this long enough, you know, you want to, you want to build cars that, that are different and something that hasn't been done before. And that, that for me, that's the fun, you know, not, I mean, not everybody, but I, I like thinking differently and, and trying to be different. Oh, I totally want to do, I want to do a Hemi build, but I wanted to do like a old Dodge D 100 or 150 truck. But I thought the guys that had square bodies were smoking purple crack when it came to how they price those things. These Dodge guys, <laughs> they're on a different level. Like, I found this one truck online that the first picture, I'm like, oh, this will be perfect. You know, the price is right. And then, you know, it's got like a rust hole in the bed big enough my house cat could fit through it. And I'm like, this dude is nuts if he still wants this amount of money for it. Yeah. You know, no, I, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's been the muscle car market is, is there, right? I mean, and what did that, uh, that 93 Cobra Argo for last year? Um, six figures. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you look around and, and, uh, you know, muscle cars in general are, are, are fetching really good money and you know because they're just not making them anymore so i mean you know it's simple supply and demand i really want to do like a big body uh big body build like some of the old what was it the uh big square body uh the lincolns oh oh yeah like one of those uh, like the 70s ones that like literally just look like giant metal blocks i want to do something one of those so Crazy deal. I, I see, uh, I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with the name Bill Lee down here in Florida, you know, really accomplished bracket racer. He's known for, he's got a cop car that he bracket races. Um, 
so last night on on facebook he throws out a photo of the the car he's bringing to race here at bradenton and it's like a late 70s ltd yes first yes and it's like you've got to be kidding me this is this is incredible this is gonna be hilarious i mean it's this giant boat wire wheels i mean it's uh, I, I can't wait till it comes on property this weekend it's it'll be fun to watch um but yeah i mean i think in you know hot rod used to do an issue called dare to be different which was always fun because they would they would highlight a lot of just unique stuff like that you would never that aren't popular bills and and it was always fun to watch and unfortunately i don't i don't think they do that issue anymore see i one of the things i was kicking around doing if i had you know unlimited funds was i'd like take an old chrysler newport and do like a twin turbo viper driveline swap and just leave it <laughs> looking like a grandpa car but then when you stomp on it, it you know you have a v10 screaming at you that would be a fun bill but Again, it comes down to uh, one having the money to buy said chassis, and two, um, I'm about as qualified when it comes to fabrication. I can make tacos, but outside of fabricating, outside of that, you know, I gotta have adult supervision. Yeah, no, I mean it's uh, you know, I always joke if you, you know if I won the Powerball, I'd just I'd get a, a you know an aircraft hangar, and that would be yes. the uh, the toy house, and it's like oh this week let's just do this, <laughs> you know let's you know let's build a killer. Grand National. Oh yeah, let's uh, let's get that LTD and stuff. Uh, you know, twin turbo coyote in it. So oh, I've already got my lottery house planned out, and the, the airplane hangar deal. It's got to be built in a way that I can pull my stacker and totter directly in, and not have to like do any backing stuff. You just pull it in and unload right there. Like I've already got the dimensions. I just you know, I need to be that statistic anomaly that has the winning ticket. Cool, but. Our time here is coming to an end, Mike, so I think, uh, you know, we've had a good time. You know, is there anything you want to plug or uh, do on your outro here? Yeah, I mean, this weekend, Bradenton Motorsports Park, we've got the NMRA event. Next weekend, we've got the NMCA event. They're going to be both uh, tearing down the house here. It's, uh, you know, weathers are looking great for both events, and, uh, you know, racer pre-entry lists are huge. Definitely, uh, definitely come on out, check it out. You know, next month, we're, we're heading north to Atlanta Dragway. And that's for our all-star nationals and uh, both organizations in one facility, one weekend. And, uh, and we're off and running. Yes. I was going to say definitely if you're within a four hour drive of any of these events, especially all-star nationals go, cause I've been to the, the Super Bowl several times. And when you get both organizations on property, it's like, just, it's awesome. You can't beat it with a stick. <laughs> I, yeah. I no, it's it. uh car count wise i mean you know 600 cars 650 cars it's definitely definitely a show a little bit of something for everybody you know from pro mods down to if you just like the the basic street car we've got it all absolutely well mike thanks for coming on the show and uh, we'll see you at the track soon sounds good thanks brian well that wraps up the show for this week thanks for mike as always stopping by and as always may your reaction times be crisp and your wind lights bright until next week folks